0: Going to just spend a brief moment on a couple of priesthoods that were demonstrated in the new t- in the Bible. I've listed them for you. There's a patriarch priesthood that you know uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob Job is in there. Melchizedek is a priest. we won't talk about him. Levitical priests, the Lord Jesus, unfortunately, we will not have the time to talk about this. and then your priesthood. so let me just let me just talk about uh, I'm going to skip Melchizedek for this hour but let's just talk about Job. Turn to Job chapter 1. I, I I don't know how long you can sit and listen to me yell at you, so I, I'm just going to trust that you'll be gracious to me and you may never invite me back. I'm sorry about that. I want you to look at Job. Now, Job is a kind of a prototype of those who would be, be considered the patriarchal priesthood. Now, let me just say something about this real quick. There is a... I'm not sure if it's a doctrine, but it's a movement today in which there is a statement made that the head of the family is the priest of the home. I would suggest to you that there is no doctrinal basis for that in the New Testament. That's pretty strong, isn't it? It's very big in the homeschooling world. I know I'm in the homeschooling world, right? Let me suggest to you that you, husband are, and father, you are responsible to give an account to God. And you're a priest. But let me tell you, every other believer in your house is a priest also. And if you have, and I think, a mistaken idea that you should be like Job or Abraham who then functions in a type of Old Testament priestly pattern, what you'll find is that you will find your family frustrated because it's not a New Testament idea. You have responsibility before God. Let's call it what it is. You have responsibility before God. You must give an account at the judgment seat, and you have to shepherd those souls under your care. Absolutely. But that's not the same as what I hear going around, and even in the, home, I'm sorry to say, even in the homeschooling arena of this whole idea of you are the patriarchal priest of your family. Each soul has to come to God on their own. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob each met the Lord individually. And so must every soul in your family. Do you have responsibility? Absolutely. That's what it is. But to create some sort of weird concept about the patriarchal priest who can only teach the children and who can only administer the elements as we pass the bread and the cup. You know what I call that? Not in the Bible. That's what I call that. I don't mean to be harsh with anybody, but I do mean, let's just follow the word. If we add to it, it's your conscience now. It's not not law. If you subtract from it, you're in a dangerous position. All right. So Job, in chapter 1 and verse 5, is a patriarchal representation of the priesthood. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and the man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil, and he had seven sons and three daughters, as I might add. Just one of an average family. Where's my brother with the nine kids? Ron, where are you? Ron Ward, are you here? Yes! I love this passage, don't you? Amen, Yes. All right, and his possession were 7,000 sheep. Now, I don't think we have 7,000 sheep. I don't know what's wrong with us. All right, 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys in a very large household. Well, that part we got. And so that, that, so that this man was the greatest of all people of the East. Now, that's referring to the Mesopotamia region. And his sons would go and feast in their homes and each on his appointed day. I think that would be their birthday. And would send and invite their three sisters to eat. And so it was when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them. Now, what, 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 what's that? He would rise early in the morning and he'd offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did regularly. Now, I am not suggesting, not suggesting that you fathers get up and you get out some animals and take the family pets out and put them to death. I'm not suggesting that at all. But I am suggesting that it is a good example for us, those who are spiritually responsible in any capacity, that we take these responsibilities seriously and we have that concern for the spiritual welfare of your family. That's exactly what he had. Number two, that he was conscientious in what he did. He would get up early in the morning and and devote himself to their spiritual vitality. Do you do that? I tell you... One of the things I end up doing most when I travel is I pray. And you know who I'm praying for most of the time? JC, I'm sorry, it's not you, it's my kids. I'd love to pray for you, but it's my kids. I'm praying for them nonstop when I'm traveling. Right? I think that's valuable. And I think if you wake up dads at 3 a.m., you do not say, why did you wake me up, honey? You actually say, Lord, is there someone you want me to pray for? That's what I think you should do. Now, conscientious in it. Notice he was cognizant of God, and he was concerned about their relationship with God. Perhaps they have said something to to defame, to curse God. And notice it was consistent. Oh, man. Oh, elder. This is an example of the patriarchal priesthood, and we could extract from that exactly how we should be as priests in our own home. Remember, not this concept that I hear floating around today. This would be a balanced application in my opinion. Right Now, let's move on to another because our time, oh, is so far gone. These men were also patriarchal priests. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there's one thing I want you to notice. No matter where they went, they always were building altars. Every one of them building altars. Now, what is an altar? It's a place where there was sacrifice. It means, the root means slaughter for sacrifice. Notice a couple things, number one, they were voluntarily built and they're usually built of stone. Why was it of stone? Do you know that you know that idea The idea here is that you can't make anything you don't want to use something that you've made that you 've cut with your hands to make an offering to God in other words you don't, you don't have any Any input into this. You don't have any, any claim to this. You take usually that uncut stone and arrange it and you don't hew it out as, as if it were, if it was your creation. This is a place where everything is devoted to God, that animal that sacrifices all there. It was voluntarily built and it was voluntarily brought out of sacrifices. You did it of your own volition. Remember when Abraham or Isaac said to Abraham, Father, here am I my son. I see the wood, I see the fire, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Why did he know that, to ask that? Because dad did it a lot. Dad made it a voluntary aspect of his entire life. Oh, I want my kids to see that out of me. I want my kids to see that I have that kind of spontaneous, selfless devotion to the God of my soul. And I challenge you men, you young men, yet to be fathers, look at me. I challenge you. I challenge every one of you to be that kind of devoted believer in Jesus Christ. Won't you be? That's taking your priesthood seriously. Very seriously. All right. Forgive me. I'm just going to go on, okay? The Levites, they... Were charged with handling sacrifices. I mentioned that earlier. The Levites were charged with handling leprosy, in particular the priests. Interesting, isn't it? They didn't have, you know, physician priests. I wish they did, but they didn't. And so when you had that little leprosy thing on your hand, you would go to the priest. As if to say it's the priest that was supposed, that had the ability to see and and discern sin. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not preaching that we need to have a a little cubicle where you go confess yourselves to the elders. I'm not talking about that. But what I am talking about, that those who are cleansed from their sins now have an amazing vision, an amazing ability to actually see the sin for what it is. And it's usually the believer that can actually go to the unbeliever and say, listen, you're covered in this sin. Can you see it? And you need it cleansed. Let me help you. That's exactly what the Levit- or the, the Aaronic priests did. And then, of course, they handled right responsive re- responses. Remember this in Ezra? The people were sinning, and Ezra tore his clothes, and he was there from morning till evening, and he began to pray, and he says, And here you've given, we you you you've redeemed us and you brought us back, and you put a peg in this place, and we've sinned even more. And all the people gathered around, and they began to be melted in their heart by watching the leadership of this man and handling the right response to sin. Oh, Christian, oh, elder, oh, father, if there is something that has come into your home that is sinful, lead the way. Lead the way and show the family, show the assembly how the priest deals with sin. It's dealt with at the cross dealt with right on the threshold of 1 John 1, nine, It's dealt with by handling the Word of God rightly. This is what was done with Nehemiah. They got that podium up and they had the podium and they would spree- speak the Word of God and the people would hear and they would obey. Oh, listen, if there's one thing we need to be, we need to know the Word of God. Oh, listen. This is what the believer priest does. Finally, a couple of things they did in the Old Testament. This is amazing to me. You know that passage in in Joshua there? That's when they crossed the River Jordan. It's a really interesting story. The the priests were to carry the ark. Normally, the priests never carried the ark. Normally, it was a group of cousins that carried the ark. They were the ones charged to carry the ark. And they weren't supposed to use a cart or oxen. They had to carry it on their shoulders with their hands. God is saying this. I want you to hold the things of God with the most spiritual appropriate portion of your spiritual anatomy. I want you to hold it with your hands because those things are the most valuable and so what, the, what happened here was the priests put the ark and they went into the middle of the river and as they, their feet touched the edge, the water upstream strop, stopped and backed up quite a few miles and the water downstream went ahead and the ground was dry on which they walked and they would go to the center of the River Jordan during flood stage and they would hold that ark, or the priests would, on their shoulders and the entire 600,000 army would march past them and every, time, every as each person walked past, the Glimmering, beautiful gold box would blind them as they would walk past. What were the priests doing? They were holding the representation, the picture of Jesus Christ as God had directed them to go into the land. Listen, this is what we do. This is what the believer priest does. We hold Christ high. We hold him high in our attitudes. We hold him high in our actions. We hold him high in our evangelism. We hold him high in our worship. We hold him high in our interaction. We hold him high in forgiveness one to another. We give the fragrance of Christ as diffusely as possible. This is what the believer does. We hold up our Savior. Are you? not to do. It's easy to let them down. Oh, I need a break. No. Do this with me. Die trying. We're either going to do it or we're going to die trying. This is serious to me. Look at that next passage. It's in Joshua 5. I'm sorry I'm, I'm not turning to the scriptures. I, I I would love to, but I'm afraid you would stone me. Joshua 5, you know again the first inaugural battle in the land and the priests are told to carry the ark you had the front army you had the the middle you had the rear army and God is saying I'm in the midst of the battle I want you priests this is the Aaron guys you hold the ark on your shoulders and you march around that city and you do it in the prescribed manner that I want I am in the middle of the battle where I've always wanted to be what do we do? When we've got issues, when we've got problems, when we've got turmoil, when we've got strife, when we've got hatred, when we've got bitterness in the assembly, in a family, in a life, in a soul, what do you do? You go to that Savior of yours. And if you have to pray all night, you pray all night and you hold your Savior high. I think we're missing that. I think we're failing in the midst of the battle to hold up our Savior, not just in going across the river, but in the fight. Oh, listen, saints, we've got to do that. Let me tell you this. I was telling um, someone today, Brother Calvin, our assembly was dead. We had fights. We had anger. We had strife. We had hatred. This was in an assembly. This was in a church. What's that supposed to happen? Really? It does. And I'll never forget realizing the importance of clinging to my Savior, holding Him high. And I said to my brother, who's 65 years old, I said, If you will commit to pray with me, I will meet with you every week and we will pray for this assembly or we'll die on our knees. I don't care which. And we met every week for five years. Five years we did that and we prayed just for the assembly. Two men! We were trying to hold our Savior as high as we could be and plead for our Savior to rescue our dying souls. And let me tell you, our Savior did. My Savior did. Now that I count a precious privilege. Are you doing that? I've got family problems, I have loved ones. We're not right. going to hold my savior high in the fight i will be on my knees as long as it takes to me the best elders meeting that we ever had is the time where we pray for two hours and we run out of time and we got to go home i think that's great hold that savior high all right let's move on i'm almost done going to move past this portion of the Lord Jesus and I want to end with this turn to Leviticus chapter 10 Leviticus chapter 10 the end is in sight dear saints you will no longer have to sit in those pews in about five minutes Leviticus chapter 10 is a story about two of the sons of Aaron it's a somber story I'm going to end with this as a word of exhortation to you, as a word of exhortation to me. I fear so much that I would be in this category. I pray the Spirit of God would keep me from such. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took a censer or his censer and put fire in it and put incense on it and offered it and offered profane fire before the Lord which he had not which he had not commanded so fire went out from the Lord where would that be from the holy of holies from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord and Moses said to Aaron this is what the Lord spoke saying by those who come near me i must be regarded as holy And before all the people, I must be glorified. What do the priests do? They glorify the Savior. That's what we're we're about. Now notice, skip over please, to verse 9. Verse 8 for context. Then the Lord spoke to who? To Moses this time? No, to Aaron. He spoke to the father of the deceased. Saying, do not drink wine or intoxicating drink. You nor your sons with you. When you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that you may distinguish between holy and unholy and between clean and unclean. Now, it's hard for me to say with absolute certainty, but I think there is direct evidence that something external was influencing his boys. It appears from the context that it was the external influence of alcoholic beverage. You may not know this, or maybe you do, but one of the first things I was taught in medical school was alcohol removes your inhibitions. What does that mean? I asked the same question because I didn't know. And it simply means that normally we have moral type of, of boundaries that we don't cross. We've either taught them, uh, we were taught them from our parents, or we've learned them from the Word of God, or both. But normally, when we're in our right mind, we won't cross those moral barriers. But alcohol allows you to cross those moral barriers without even thinking it's wrong. That's the idea. And so he had a command about how to bring the appropriate fire, the appropriate source of fire into the presence of the Lord. And they didn't. And therefore, in almost an ironic way, the fire of God reaches out and burns them so that they're now dead, still in the tabernacle of meeting. That's kind of scary. He had to go in and retrieve those bodies. Now, in my career, I've taken care of one patient that i have never forget. He was in a fire in which a tank or a truck exploded on his car, and he was burnt from the top of his head to the sole of his right foot. The only normal color skin on his body was the right sole of his foot and he was totally charred so that the skin was a quarter inch thick. I'll never forget it, it's a type of scene where I walk in the room and I gasp because I cannot believe what I'm looking at. And he was still alive, I'll never forget it. In a career of, of, in emergency medicine you may practice, you may do one or two life-saving procedures in your career of this nature and in one night I did four of them on this particular patient. So when it says the fire reached out and devoured them, I can just imagine what their bodies must have looked like and how much this made an impression upon the people of God and upon the father of these boys, Aaron. I'll never forget that patient I took care of. I smelled burnt flesh for weeks. The patient was gone in the morgue, but I smelled burnt flesh for weeks. I can imagine this whole scene. And let me tell you what happened to these fellows is for whatever reason something was under something caused an adverse influence upon their hearts and souls so that their judgment was clouded and they did that which the Lord had not commanded that was means that they weren't violating something directly they did something extra extra that's where the error was and the point is is that when you do something like that it, it Diminishes your ability to say what is proper and what is improper. And it diminishes your ability to say or see what would glorify God the most. Saints, what are we supposed to do? Let me tell you what we're supposed to do. As believer priests, we, not anyone else, we. We are to be the ones who can actually discern between what is holy and unholy. And young people, in your lives, you're going to hear the the older saints say, now we ought not to do that because that leads you down a path. Do not fight against that. Because let me tell you, they're simply quoting to you historical evidence that if you go down that path, they're going to lead into activity and behavior which will be unholy, and in the New Testament, The Bible is very clear that such behavior on a continual basis might even cost you illness, if not your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So don't fight that. That's good counsel. Let me tell you, they could not see the difference. And what happened ultimately is that God of heaven, the one who came down Mount Sinai, the whole thing was diminished in his place and stature before the eyes of the people. Priests, priestesses. Our job is to glorify the Lord as much, as maximally possible as we can. Sometimes we're going to have to be very careful how we do it. Right? Believer priests, that's what we are. It's our Ahajalon Valley inheritance. Do not. Do not think of it lightly. Do not think of it as just a a, a little nice little concept that we check off on our biblical quiz. It is one of the most important, precious things to the heart of God, and it's filled in the entire Word of God with tremendous imagery and application, and many of this, which I've skipped, much of this, which I've skipped over, just highlights the importance of this truth. This day. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, there is is a lot to to think about today. And I confess before you, I have have failed to value what is so rich. You've spent all of the value of heaven to secure my place in Jesus Christ. And I pray, O God, keep me and my fellow believers from ever failing to value, to exhort or to exalt the tremendous blessing of what you've given me, what you've given us. Spare us from that, Father. Spare us from this, I beg of you. Let our hearts be sensitive to the precious inheritance in Jesus Christ. Keep us from being like Danites. In Jesus' name.